For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Suffering is not a very cheery topic. Suffering is not something we want to experience, and, and I think we in the modern world aren't too keen on talking about it either. I think it's hard to measure suffering, so I'm, I don't really know if we can say something like there's less suffering in the modern world than there was a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. Certainly in the modern world we have a, a longer life expectancy, like, like maybe 40 years longer or even twice as long as some humans in some times and some places. But is a long life a barometer of the amount of suffering? I'm not really sure. And we have lots of medical advances as well in this modern time. If I scrape my knee, it's unlikely that I'm going to suffer much pain or get an infection. I can just clean it with some soap, put a Band-Aid on it, some medicine, and I don't have to suffer very much at all. And yet physical suffering is only one kind of suffering. What about mental or emotional suffering? Have we made advances in our day and age over those who came before us? Again, I don't know. I don't know if modern life has made us humans on the whole or for the most part more content or happier more grateful, more flourishing creatures on God's green earth. All throughout Peter's first letter, uh, suffering has served as something as an underlying backdrop of his instructions to his fellow Christians. By and large, the suffering Peter has been addressing is the kind of suffering that these Christians were enduring because they were Christians. They were living in a time and a place where following the way of Christ was not popular, not respected, and at odds with the larger surrounding culture. And this inevitably caused social friction. Whenever you have people living together with competing values or outlooks, uh, strain can arise, and the potential for one party to suffer at the hands of another is, is ever-present. And these Christians were experiencing this strain in the form of persecution and abuse. Throughout this middle portion of Peter's letter, he's been probing various means for helping these Christians to persevere and endure through the suffering that they were being afflicted with at the hands of non-Christians. And so in continuing our series here on 1 Peter in this Eastertide, we're going to look somewhat closely at a few of the key aspects of what St. Peter says on this theme of enduring suffering from our reading this morning in chapter 3. That's chapter 3, verses 8 to 18, as our lectionary has it, if you want to flip in your pew Bibles or even on your phone. What I want to do, though, is look at the, to, to start here, is actually to look at the end of the reading, verse 18, because I think that this helps to highlight the, the conceptual infrastructure of Peter's call to endure in the midst of suffering. And I think it shows why this call might be particularly apt for us in thinking about it in this season. So Peter says this in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now I'd like to point out that we're reading this passage here in Eastertide. And so the victory of the resurrection, uh, this this casts an illuminating light on, on every passage we should be reading in this season. So I think we can easily home in on the latter part of this verse with its clear connection to the resurrection of Christ. Christ has been made alive in the Spirit, that is, by the Spirit, who raised Christ on the third day. And this, then, is the same Spirit that, that we have, that empowers us to live 
lives that are marked by our own hope of the resurrection. And this focus on the resurrection here in Peter's letter, and I think indeed for us in this season, casts Peter's call to endure suffering in a particular light. Peter's not commending suffering for suffering's sake. It's not, not suffering for some masochistic pleasure, and I'd even contend he's not even commending suffering purely as an attempt to emulate Christ's physical suffering, although I think it's that as well. But rather, given the resurrection, all of our suffering needs to be reinterpreted in the light of the final victory in the struggle between life and death. I think in a sense, suffering is sort of like an emissary or an ambassador of death. Suffering is fleeting, but death is permanent, or or so it is without Christ. So suffering's upstream, so to speak, from, from death. We dislike suffering not just because it doesn't feel good in the moment, but also because it's a reminder of the final end to which suffering is directed, death. But one of the key points of Christ's resurrection is the truth that death has been defeated. And if the end has been cut off or been defeated, then the path that leads there is undone as well. So here at the end of our reading is, I think, a a practical application principle of St. Peter's message. When you're in an instance of suffering, especially when you're suffering because you've done the right thing, remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection and you can endure the suffering and emulate Christ through it. And so I think we can take this principle of the resurrection and we can then go back to the previous parts of this passage to see how this this principle applies in some of the contexts that Peter elucidates. I think that there are three domains that, in which Peter encourages his readers to apply this resurrection principle in, uh, in, in this passage. So he, he talks about pursuing unity with one another. He talks about maintaining righteousness through suffering. And he talks about sharing the gospel, but not being a jerk about it. With respect to the first domain, um, applying the resurrection to the pursuit of unity. Peter says this in, in verse 8. <clears throat> All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I think it's very easy in instances of communal suffering, communal strain, or persecution, for there to become, um, for there to be internal divisions that compound the suffering. Even if the suffering is being inflicted from the outside of the community, this places more pressure on the, the cracks or the seams of the unity within the community. I think many a church, and even ours, experienced this through the pandemic when the external strain and suffering of the pandemic revealed or exacerbated the disunity within Christian communities. But Peter's telling us that remembering the resurrection, having the resurrection in the forefront of our mind and our interactions can, can diffuse this strain, can release the tension, and can thus free us up to be tender-hearted with and, and sympathetic towards one another in our community. And secondly, verses, verses 9 through 14, the next section of this passage, uh, verses 9 through 14 form sort of a sandwich around a quotation from Psalm 34. Uh, what I think the essential message here is, is that remembering the resurrection frees one up to maintain righteousness, even in the midst of suffering. So Peter quotes Psalm 34 here in commending the pursuit of right living. He says, uh, quoting the psalmist, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. 
Now, this seems to be just good moral instruction, which is applicable in any season. Uh, and it's always a challenge to pursue living the right way. Sin, our, our natures, our cultures draw us away from walking the straight and narrow. But it's particularly challenging to do this when one's enduring suffering, and even more so when one's suffering because one is trying to follow the Christian way. Peter's telling us that because of Christ's resurrection, we are freed to pursue right living and, and, and to follow the moral instructions of Christ because we know that this is the path that leads to our own resurrection. And so no matter the circumstances, the exhortation here is to hold fast to doing the right thing as Christ has showed us, for this is the path to resurrection. And then the third domain to which uh, we might apply the resurrection principle here uh, that Peter elucidates concerns being willing to share the good news about Christ with others. Hear what Peter says again in verse 15. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that it's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think that language of being prepared to make a defense might seem to have a connotation of taking like a, a defensive posture regarding the truths of Christianity, as if our relationship with those who aren't Christians would be adversarial. I don't think that is actually what's going on here or what's necessarily going on here. Rather, the, the words in this sentence for make a defense and reason or accounting, they all come from the same root, which, which I think means something more along the lines of uh, giving a rationale or expositing the inner workings or explaining the logic. So the idea is this. The natural way of engaging with those who treat you poorly is to treat them poorly back. An eye for an eye sort of a thing. You're a jerk to me, I'm going to be a jerk to you. But Peter's saying the Christian way, the way of Christ, is not to respond this way. As he says in, again in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. The Christian way is when someone treats you poorly, to instead return that with treating someone with love and respect and kindness and all the other virtues that Christ exemplified. And I think that's what Peter is getting at when he, in the first part of verse 15 when he says to honor Christ. That is, you give respect to Christ by following his example. And by doing this, enduring suffering, enduring poor treatment, not retaliating, all this is going to seem rather odd to the non-Christian. It's not going to make sense. Tit for tat, eye for eye, that, that's what makes sense to the person who doesn't know Christ, and thus the Christian response is going to seem strange and without rationale. So I think Peter is telling his audience and telling us not only to respond to poor treatment as Christ would, but also be ready and able to provide a, a rationale, a, a description of the inner workings of the Christian way for why you would respond in this strange way. Which then I think takes us right back to the resurrection, the motivation for Christian moral behavior. You don't have to merely say, I'm enduring poor treatment because Christ did. Rather, you can say, I'm enduring harsh treatment because Christ has been raised from the dead. He's defeated death and defeated suffering. He's undone the logic of retaliation. And my hope, my plan, my rationale is to be raised with him. And that's what motivates my, re my reactions. And I think this accounts then for Peter's instructions to do so with a certain demeanor, a certain behavior, a certain posture, as he says, with gentleness and respect. 
Let me just pause on those two terms there for a moment. I know a fair amount of you regular attenders here at All Souls, and I don't think many of you are the uh, sort of yelling red in the face at people who disagree with you kind of people. In fact, if anything, perhaps it's lack of confrontation that, that maybe some of us need to be con cautious of. So perhaps I'm doing the proverbial preaching to the choir. But, but then just as a reminder, when we Christians are engaging with those who are not Christians, including and perhaps especially, as Peter said, when we're being treated poorly for following the way of Christ, we're instructed here to do so with gentleness and with respect. I don't think this means that the Christian path is just to capitulate to every person or idea that comes along. No, I think we are supposed to offer an articulation for the rationale that is the Christian way. But Peter would not have us be jerks about it. Rather, when we treat the other with gentleness and with respect, we are, once again, living out our hope in the resurrection. That individual, this other, this non-Christian who's treating me poorly because I follow Christ, well, that's someone for whom Christ's resurrection could apply, even if it hasn't yet. That's another human being, another one of God's good creatures, who has been honored just like us by the coming of God to humanity in the incarnation. And, and for these reasons, this person is also worthy of love and kindness and gentleness and respect. So we can endure suffering from them and, in fact, for them. We can maintain righteousness in our treatment of them, and we can offer a rationale for the Christian way, not only through what we say, but also how we say it. And we can do all this through and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.